Hi again, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching, baseball, softball, male, female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. Thank you for joining us today. Episode 60, the title of today's episode, Decision Making Fatigue. We'll be talking a lot about that, exploring four or five questions about decision-making fatigue today. So let me bring in my friend and co-host, softball national champion at the University of Alabama and current day renowned coach, Cassie riley Bosha. Cass, how are you? Doing well. We have an, let's see, 74, it's going to be 78 degrees today, which is... I've heard I, I've heard about the weather in the Northeast being, uh, the temperatures being higher in the 60s this week, late this week, 70s this weekend. So good for you. Congratulations. Nice breeze here in Florida. It's the last hoorah before, you know... It's coming. No, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. is coming. <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I hear there's a nor'easter heading your way. Yeah, I know. It's right. We get we get one more hoorah. We get one more nice sunny <laughs> day. I think it's a little early though for a nor'easter at this point. It, it is. Means- it is. Farmers Almanac though is predicting this to be a bad winter for the Northeast. Whatever that right. means. I don't I don't follow weather that well, but that is what they're saying. Well, just so you know, uh, if it makes you feel any better, any consolation, when there's a bad northeast storm or a mid-Atlantic northeast snowstorm, we feel the effects here in Florida with the cold. It does get pretty cold, like down into like the high 40s. And that is cold for here, mind you, when the summers are 110 degrees. Um, also, I wanted to uh, mention something else to you, but I, for- I forgot. Oh, what do you mean for Halloween? That's, that's what it was. I don't have a costume right now. I don't know. I'm still deciding, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, uh, trick, are you going trick-or-treating? I'm guessing you are. Yes, with my, with my two stepsons, yes. Well, right. they're they're right at the six six and four-year-old age, so that's prime trick-or-treating time. Now, are you the type who's going to take like a bunch of, take their candy away from them when they go to sleep? Yeah. I, I mean. I mean, uh, when they go to sleep, no, you can't have candy in a room with two boys. That's That'll be a recipe for disaster, but they can so have, when, they can have yeah. candy at night. That's fine. So when they but when they go to sleep, I'm sure you're gonna savage the bag a little bit. Uh, I don't know. No, I think we they, they keep they don't they don't get too much, and they keep pretty good track of what they do get. They're excited right. about what they get. <laughs> no, you're too honest for your own good. Look at you. Um. All right. So let's get into today's topic, episode sixty. Happy Halloween, by the way, everybody. As this episode comes out Wednesday, November first. Yeah, yeah. November. Um, I don't like how the World Series, though, is still going on at this point. Um, I, I did like it when it was in October, mostly, yeah. Yeah. I mentioned this the other day to somebody. Um, I said, somebody said, uh, oh, enjoy the World Series, enjoy the whatever. And I said, um, I said, yeah, it's it's almost over, thank God. I mean, the season started back in late March, and we're still talking about it. It's like, it's a, yeah. You know what? Hockey it has another really long season. It does. They're starting now and they'll play till August or something like that. They're, yeah. they have a crazy long season too. So when I was a kid, and you remember this because we're in the same age bracket, but when we were kids, do you remember the NHL used to end before the NBA finals? Now it's, it's flipped. And I don't know if that was because of COVID or whatever, but, um, the season, the, the NHL season is also very long too. So is the NBA season, but it doesn't feel as long for whatever reason. Cause I, cause they don't, you don't play every day in those mm-hmm. sports, but with baseball, it's just that slog, that grind 162 games starting yeah. in March. And not including course, playoffs. Not including playoffs. Right. And the regular season is, is pretty much now devalued as I've, I've talked about. Um, I was watching the world series the other night, actually, they brought it up how, um, the diamondbacks, had a really good first couple of months of the season 
And um, I, I don't know what it's what it was like for you in in softball. I'm getting again fifty two games at the Division One level, right? Right around fifty fifty two games for regular season. I think was fifty eight sixty. Okay, fifty eight. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I got the number fifty two from, but um, they were talking about how the Diamondbacks got off to this great start, and from I think it was June third on, they weren't playing very good baseball. And I just want to say that anybody out there who talks about, well, it's we get, getting off to a slow start, not a big deal. It is a big deal because the Diamondbacks wouldn't be in the playoffs right now, right? If they didn't get off to that fast Second start. Story. And that applies, I think, to obviously college softball, college baseball as well. You know, I I don't understand that. I don't I don't like the whole slow start. I, I you when you go out there, you, you win, right? Regular season, it's time to. There's ur- there should be more urgency there. Time to win. Yeah, and I, I, listen, I I never played as long of a season as Major League Baseball. I could see, I I just I can I can understand why some people are like, oh, all right, we just we got to find our groove. I I would much rather push really hard in the beginning to find that groove, and then not that you coast, but you start to really fine tune what works really really well. And of course, like because you know slumps are going to come. You know your best hitters are going to come into slumps. You know people might get injured, whatever it may be. Like, why waste time baking on that everything is going to work its way out eventually? You know, it's. I, I agree with you. I much prefer the hit punch people in the teeth when they're trying to move slow, I guess, in the beginning. Right, right, right. Okay, so, so we have, we're talking today, Decision-Making Fatigue, Episode 60. We have four questions we're going to pose today. What is decision-making fatigue? How does this show up in young adults and student athletes? How do you, I'm, I'm not going to say we because I'm not a coach, but you as coaches or coaches out there, how do you recognize that? And what can you do about it, teaming up with the athlete, with the coach to recognize this and and to stop that decision-making fatigue? So let's first talk about episode 60 today. Thank you for joining us as always. We do appreciate that. New episodes every Wednesday, 9 a.m., Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast and on softball strength academy youtube page you can watch the show as well what is let's talk about that first though what is decision making fatigue we teased it a little bit last week but what exactly is decision making fatigue how does it affect all athletes all ages sure i you know what i think this is something everybody can relate to it's not just an athlete that can relate to it where you are just you're essentially burnt someone asks you even like hey what do you want for dinner you're like i don't care i just don't want to make a decision about it it's like i've i've had so many things to have to decide on today and i think as we make more and more decisions or as we're forced to make more and more decisions throughout our day the quality of our decision gets lower and lower and lower and actually this like particular phenomenon of decision making fatigue is why they have like you know you see politicians who are sometimes very smart or people in like very high up roles like big time CEOs whatever it is they're very smart they're very they're very organized but then they make some bonehead mistake that gets them caught or gets them in trouble and they're blaming decision making fatigue on this that they've had the quality of their decision making is so low um so i think the busier that we see young athletes getting the sooner that they're getting busy the more ap classes they're taking or the more technology and media that they get exposed to at their fingertips or the more, you know, whatever it is that we are just piling on humans, student, young student athletes included, all of a sudden we are just piling also on this decision-making fatigue that is happening in their life. And we start to kind of see that snowballing as to not leading to better performance all the time, if ever. 
there's a there's a good book out there that you mentioned, um, the art of decision making in sports, right? It's a that's a blog. Sorry, or a blog. Okay. Um, strategies for success. You know, it, we talked we 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 touched on it last week about you you thirty five thousand decisions that you people make approximately thirty five thousand decisions a day. You wouldn't think that's the case, but we kind of explored it last week towards the end of episode fifty nine. And yeah, you, you, there are a lot of decisions that you make, um, small decisions that you don't even know that you actually are making. You do it almost subconsciously. But um, with athletes, it's the same thing. You know, those smaller decisions, though, it's the same, but there's differences. The smaller decisions um, that you may make will lead to bigger consequences or lead to certain things. For example, what time you wake up in the morning, your morning routine, what you do, those little decisions that get you ready for a game. Um, those little decisions could lead either to a good game, a bad game, being mentally ready or being physically ready or not. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think too, like something that we have to consider is that the reason why this has become such a topic in, uh, coaching conversations or even, uh, business conversations is because the number of decisions we're apparently making in a day is going up and up and up and up and up. I think the reason decision-making fatigue is becoming such a hot topic over young athletes in business um, when we see it coming up in sports is because that that 35,000 number has apparently had the steady increase throughout the years as technology has gone up, as, as all these things have compiled on top of uh, athletes. So the other thing, too, is like the weight of the decisions is so much more. It's, you know, whether or not I'm deciding to to pick up a water and drink it is very different than when I go to post something on social media or go to like or comment. The ramification of doing something that all of a sudden, if they wanted to, everybody in the world could have access to is is tremendous. And I look at some of our baseball guys and they sign up for a PBR event and they're getting their rankings. Every single swing they take, every pitch they throw is posted on the internet for all these scouts and college coaches to see. And so these decisions are now no longer light decisions. They're they're heavy decisions. And I think that's part of the reason why it is just weighing so much more um, on athletes. And the, the blog post you mentioned, the quote that came from it was decision-making fatigue can lead to reduced attention control and cognitive processing, making it more difficult for athletes to accurately perceive and interpret game situations. So additionally, this fatigue can impact the athlete's emotional state, leading to increased anxiety or frustration, which can negatively impact that decision making. So it's it. I mean, we've certainly seen this in young athletes, an increase in burnout and an increase in not enjoying the sport. And is this, you know, this might not be the sole reason, but is this a huge part of the reason why this is happening? Um, so you alluded to it there. Um Let's go on to the next question. How does it now show up in young? And from your experience, how does it show up in young athletes? And um, I mean, student athletes, older athletes. It, it doesn't. I don't think the age really, really matters here. But how does it show up just in general um, from what you've seen in athletes? Sure, it's almost like this. You definitely see that burnt out athlete. I think it's yeah. very easy to maybe recognize a burnt out adult, like you know, just as because usually burnout comes from like your profession or just like the stresses of life, you don't normally think, oh, I'm going to see a kid burnt out, you know? Um, but when you do, you start to see it's like a very lackluster focus. They're kind of just there to check a box. Um, they're, they're just showing up. They're not actually there. And because it is at that point, they're too emotionally, mentally, and physically at that point exhausted to 
actually show up and be present and and be all in and what they're doing because they've they've exhausted that in other areas of their life already before they came to that training or that game um that they're at right now that you're seeing them at do you okay so do you were you ever um did you ever have decision making fatigue as an athlete i think that's first week to answer yeah. that question. you know what I, I i probably did but didn't recognize it or didn't even know what was going on and it's yep. it was certainly i think it showed up as not trusting myself at all like um i and maybe maybe you it, can be maybe decision-making fatigue if you take a deeper dive you could really argue that it's relative right like i would deep dive on the swing i would overanalyze my swing at some points i would stress out about right x y and z and now i've watched countless hours of video and and looked at this one thing and i've and i think in my head i'm like oh i'm preparing but really i'm obsessing and i'm depleting my mental energy and emotional energy as it pertains to the swing and then i get up to the plate and i'm like huh like i have i haven't i don't trust anything about my swing anymore and and it's it's really i'm just maybe i'm taking bp just to take bp and i'm not actually allowing myself to just have my athleticism uh show through i'm instead second guessing every little thing and i have no uh capacity to actually just make high quality decisions at the plate anymore yeah so really what you're kind of alluding to when you're overthinking um, as a hitter, you, that's kind of like decision making fatigue in a way. For sure, yeah, I mean, and and so right, you could you could have decision making uh, stress, I guess, surrounding you as a hitter, and it'll certainly affect you as a hitter. And then I bet you, when you try to go out to dinner that night, and someone's having a conversation with you, you're gonna be like, you're just not gonna be there either. It's gonna it's gonna that stress is gonna start to affect all areas of your life. I don't know about you, but when I used to go to the beach, um, I used to practice my my hitting, or I used to practice some certain things about the swing. I don't know, have you did you ever do that? Maybe not at the beach, at a, but at maybe, maybe not so much. Different settings. Yeah, maybe different settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I see that. <laughs> that's, you know, so that's, I mean, you know, that's where that's the stress comes in too. Or, you know, you're just <laughs> constantly overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. So, yeah, I can definitely mm-hmm. relate to that. Boy, I used to do it, but I used to do it a lot at the beach. Right after, like, mm-hmm. in August time, um, when the, uh, the, the summer season would come to an end. Right around that. Time. There you go. I'll go to the we yeah. would, would go to the beach and I would just constantly be thinking about my swing. I, I so I would um, ready that it just came to me. I would uh, I'd be watching baseball in the basement with my parents and I couldn't mm-hmm. just enjoy the game. I was hyper obsessing over the swing and then how that affect my swing. And sure enough, I was standing up working on something <laughs> while I'm watching a game yeah. instead of just of sitting watching the game. So yeah, I could see that. I, I used to watch games just to watch my favorite hitters and how they would hit and what their approaches. Um, okay, so as a coach now, let's move on here. Decision-making fatigue is our topic today, episode 60. How do you recognize it in an athlete? I, we you know, we just talked about how it shows up, uh, obviously physical, mental, emotional, but how do you recognize that? Because athletes, they really aren't as forthcoming. There's, I'm guessing body language cues, right? But how do you, as a coach and other coaches out there, how could they go about recognizing that decision-making fatigue that athletes might be suffering from? Sure. I, you know, I think of it, I actually think I see it a lot more in training. Granted, I work with an athlete way more in training than I ever do on a competitive field. So this might just be my personal lens of bias that I'm viewing an athlete from, but I start to see the athlete, uh, they show up and they're like, okay, I'm here. I made it. Just tell me what to do. I don't want to think like, don't, 
you know, we we did something in the weight room one time where we would have an athlete say, okay, listen, you have squat today, but you get to pick what squat you want to do. And and they would stress about it. They'd be like, what do you, what do you mean I have to pick if it's front or back? Because in our head, we were testing out, you know what, an athlete is going to pick what they're strongest at, and that might be the best squat for them too. Anyway, that's just, that's just an example of an athlete just not wanting to take ownership or not seeking autonomy over their training. You know, granted, some people are a little afraid of it, and that's a different you know, path you're going down. Some people are just do not feel capable of taking ownership of their training. And what happens is they become a very passive or really just a passenger in their athletic career, in their development, instead of being in the driver's seat or wanting to be in the driver's seat, they're just along for the ride. And so everything's kind of just a checklist for them. I did this, I did this because I was told to do this. And then, you know, later down the line, when they don't do well in the field, again, that leads to not having ownership. It's 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 not a good place to be in. Um, I'll start to see that burnout of, of athletes just not having that willpower to train anymore. It's that willpower to push through difficult drills. And unfortunately, after maybe you recognize it here and there, you know, in October, but come December, January, you're starting to see a very clear difference in how much the athlete is progressing. And you have this athlete come in and says, well, I've done everything you've told me to do. Why am I not getting better? And it's because they have no idea what, the intent behind what they're doing they don't they don't care to know the why like i said they just they're so burnt from whatever else that they got going on in their life that they kind of just show up and say yeah i'm here I'm, I'm checking a box and you'll only see very small gains from that opposed to leaps and bounds that some other athletes will take i'm glad you made that comparison though with the weight room by the way front squat or back squat which one do you choose i'm a front squatter front squat. i am you've, you've good wrist mobility i'm guessing I do. I did. I also, I have fun facts. I competed in Olympic lifting for like three years after I got done with my grad degree. Okay. So, all right. All right. How much can you front squat? Um, let's see. My, my back squat at my best got up to like 325. My front okay. squat was only ever at 280. So, it okay. Wasn't yeah. Front squat is very hard. Front squat is very yeah. hard. Uh, now, when you were, now, you, when you were power, I'm just curious, but when you were power lifting, it went um, thing. So it was clean and jerk and snatch. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I never did. <laughs> You're right. No, thank you. I'm glad you corrected me because uh, there is a, a big difference there. I was going to ask about what your clean and your clean and jerk and what your um, uh, what else thinking here, hang pull. Snatch. It was just yeah. So like all of that is components of it. That was actually that was the like Olympic lifting is very sequencing based and movement based and you could yeah. be really, really strong, but not possess the right sequencing. So very similar to hitting. Um, and I think that's probably why I liked it. <laughs> yes. So the, I'll tell you what the, um, the power clean is very, very, very hard. As you know, mm. the audience may not know. It's very, very hard. A lot of sequencing. You could, you could, again, you mentioned that you could be strong, but you could be really off sequence and not do very well. So what was your, your highest uh, snatch? Mm, I think I, I hit one sixty one time, and it was okay. that was that was like a little bit above body weight for me. Um, and then my clean was at two hundred, but I could never get my jerk above one eighty five. So okay, was, okay. those were right. those were solid for me. I had always thought I was like maybe I'll I'll try to get two hundred clean and jerk and one eighty five snatch, but that's. I mean, I would have had to like really, really lock out it, block it, and and I'll tell you what, my body hurt. <laughs> that was not. <laughs> <laughs> I felt strong, but my body. I wake up, I'm like, dang. <laughs> yeah, I feel good. <laughs> so that 325 is very impressive, by the way. A lot of uh, guys cannot do that. 
um, we should get, we, well, I'm sure we can get into your weightlifting career uh, some other time, but, um, you know, and, but the, my point was you, there, you, when you're making, if you don't, when you're, if you're making up your own workout and you're not getting it from someone online, or if you're even if you're getting like a blueprint, say, or a skeleton type workout that you can just kind of fill in, create your own adventure, right? Um, there's a lot of decisions there. Uh, I've, I've experienced it too, um, believe it or not, but, uh, there's a lot of decisions there that go into what exercises you want to choose and, and the exercise selection in general. And, and when it comes down to front squat or back squat, sometimes it's as simple as they're both accomplishing the same thing. It's just kind of in a, in a different, different movement, uh, a little bit of a different movement. Um, and, uh, just a different way you set up and that, that translates to obviously baseball and softball that you, sometimes you don't even know that, that, that you're fatigued from the decisions you're trying to make because you're overthinking it so for sure. And you know what? I think this will probably lead into what we could potentially do about it. But I think we we all intuitively know that when we are disorganized in our life, it is going to lead to us not being as productive in other areas of our life. If we, it's the most obvious example is if we slipped through our alarm and woke up and we're like, oh my gosh, and, and grabbed everything and ran out the door, we're not having as productive of a day as we would have had if we woke up at the time we wanted to. So those just how we structure our entire day, how we structure our life, how we structure just our internal organization, our internal productivity, it's its going to lead to just such a better outcome for everything else that we do in our life. So yeah, I, I, I like the idea of, of structuring and that's something we can talk about now with, you know, what can coaches do about it? Um, you know, aiding athletes and the big thing here that you wrote down in the notes, which I, I actually underlined as well for my own personal notes here, um, creating those healthy habits and the keyword routines, mm. having a routine. Yes. Uh, you know what? I think we, we don't realize too, like if you, if you, the night before, if you pick out what you're going to wear, if you, uh, pick out what you're going to eat for breakfast the next day, you decide on certain things. Um, and maybe you just write down a brief, like, okay, I'm going to do this for the first 10 minutes of my day, the, whatever it may be, you, you set it take 10 minutes to set up your nighttime nighttime routine for your next day, you'll go through the first 30 minutes of your day and barely have to make a decision because you've already made those decisions the night before. You're setting up this routine for yourself. And what routines help with is not, listen, when we're highly, highly motivated and we are like, yes, I'm going to start training. I'm going to do this. We don't, we don't feel like we need that routine as much. We've talked about this before. When we need the routine is when we start to drag or th other things pile on boom, I have my routine. I get through the first 30, 45 minutes of my day and I feel very accomplished and I haven't wasted any of my, I guess, mental stores on trying to make a decision of, well, what am I going to wear? I want to wear this. Where are those pants? They're upstairs. I think they're upstairs and they even walk. You know, it's like it leads to so many different things. So when we can set up these little mini routines throughout our day, and I'm not saying we have to be a robot, but when we can start to take care of certain decisions by our habits and our routines, all of a sudden it we feel a lot more present in what we're doing. We don't feel as burnt out or fatigued. I mean, gosh, as a student athlete, getting work done in advance and not waiting till the last minute to do do things, um, staying ahead of all those uh, those those aspects is is huge. And it just it that the lack of stress that you feel from not having those areas in place will then all of a sudden help you become the best decision maker when it comes to being at the plate to being really confident when you're at practice it'll it'll start to bleed into those other areas of your life you talked about it last week with what your routine was and how that helped you 
get prepared mm-hmm. for games. And yeah, I think it's it's so important. Athletes don't understand the truly the younger athletes. The infor- and I didn't either, so I'm I'm guilty of it too. Um, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here because I'm I'm certainly guilty, or I was certainly guilty of it. Um, but having a pretty flexible routine, creating that flexible routine, how do athletes go about creating that and flexible routine that could really help them um, with the decision making process, just in in general in their athletic careers? Yeah, and you know, listen, I I, I talk to some athletes and they're like, listen, I've I've tried that and it doesn't work for me, and what they're probably saying is it was really hard i tried this one method and it it was way more effort than i thought it was going to be i think what that athlete is really telling me is they just haven't found out the best method for them to work because obviously if we nail down some type of organizational or journaling habit or something for them they're going to come back and be like okay i get it now i get how much more freedom this has allowed me in other areas of my life so I've always I've always said having some type of organizational schedule um, and journaling, they accomplish the same thing. And that's they're taking something out of your brain that is now spinning and cycling in your brain and they put it on paper for you. So you don't have to bring that weight with you everywhere. It's, it, it exists somewhere else besides your brain. So whether that is staying organized with your schedule on your computer or it's or your phone or it's something physical that you carry around with you, but just having some type of schedule where you can see what what am I in control of today, what's happening today, and what does my outlook look for the next weeks or months. Um, and again, student, athlete, someone who has schoolwork on top of their training, like it's imperative for them to be on top of um, what their expectations are as a student first before they their athletic endeavors come next. Um, so I think having some type of organizational system that works for them, um, and again, what works for one athlete is not the same for the other, and then some type of journaling technique, which we've discussed in length, will be so helpful for them to just journal, okay, I'm stressing out about this or or this is how I'm feeling. They'll be able to look and be like, wait a second, why am I stressing about this? I can take care of this in my nighttime routine or why am I stressing about this? I can, I can, I can go to my coach and talk about this. And what we're trying to do is, is take those heavy decisions that are depleting their decision-making fatigue, let's say, um, or their ability to make high-quality decisions and we're offloading it onto paper so that they can reflect on it a little bit easier. So I know that's a mouthful, but I, I think those are two huge areas that people can work on there. So do we hit on everything today? Episode 60, decision-making? I just want to make sure. Yeah, it's definitely, it's something you don't hear about as often. It's not, it's also not the end-all be-all. I think that's something else like someone might be burnt out and it doesn't mean that they have decision-making fatigue. It could be just an aspect of what they are experiencing is all. Yeah. All right. Well, next week, be sure to follow us too on social media at Jim Tara at Coach uh, Cassie RB on Twitter at Coach Cassie underscore RB on Instagram. Next week, episode 61, strategies for playing your best when it matters the most. There are certain players out there, I won't name who, coming from the baseball side. I'm sure you have some in mind for softball, but mm-hmm. coming from the baseball side, there are certain players out there that perform the best when the lights are the absolute brightest. And there are some players out there, some stars at the major league level that I see that can't perform when the lights are at the, I mean, brightest, the mm. brightest. I won't name who they are. It's not important. But <laughs> there are certain athletes out there. No, it's fair. Um, and there, there really is, yes. And um, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk next week's strategy for playing your best when it matters the most. Episode 61, you got anything before we uh, get on out of here? No, just happy Halloween and happy happy almost off season. I think softball, fall ball is like just about wrapping up. So. Yeah. The almost off season to everybody. <laughs> and you're busy at the academy, I'm guessing. You're not there today. As we 
No, not, not there today, but we are, yeah, we're ramping up, which is, which is nice to see. It's exciting to see people getting done with their fall training and getting done with their fall sports and starting to come back into the building. When was the last time you hit personally? Uh, like off of a tee or like off of yeah, just like whatever the, you know, well, I, I, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast, but I, I, I am now almost eight months pregnant. So I have not hit on myself. I have, I have a belly in the way that is not allowing me to hit like I yeah. used to, but, um, it affect I, your, your torque. It just, you know, I'm just being cognizant of my back. <laughs> yeah. um, but the uh, when I filmed for the drill library, I was in the cage almost like every other day filming different drills. And that was fun. It felt like my swing was really getting intact <laughs> for that. So that yeah. was, that was a, a few months ago. And then um, anytime we're in Alabama, we'll, we'll find time to hit on the field. So, but every now and then, sometimes I just need a five minute break from work and I'm not yeah. pregnant. I'll go in the cages and just swing a little bit. I'm thinking you should get in the cage, get in the cages probably next summer. To, uh, you know, film yourself hitting. Maybe we can do like a like a break hitting breakdown of you of yourself. There you just, go. That'll be I'll be good. I'll just step out of the way and let you let you break <laughs> your your own swing down. Yeah, this is what it looks like at thirty. Uh, I'll be thirty four then, so thirty four years old, and this is what it looked like at uh, twenty two, my senior year in college. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things I which I would have done with my swing, my senior year in college, maybe. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit soon. I'm gonna hit very soon as well. And um, nice. you know, I always film it, and I always like you know break it down. And then after just <laughs> being after after watching so much, I can't watch it anymore. So I'm so kind of disgusted. Um. Anyway, okay. So next week, episode sixty one strategies for playing your best when it matters the most. Thank you for listening and subscribing and watching. We do appreciate that. And we'll talk to you next. Week.